0: Hello there and welcome to season two of the Medtime Stories podcast. My name is Ashwin Sharma. I'm Tom Thorne. And we're both final year medical students at the University of Birmingham. This podcast is about our life at medical school, what we get up to in and around the edges and what we're looking forward to about our future careers. Whatever platform you're listening to us on, please subscribe and leave us a rating.
1: So hello, welcome back to another episode. Uh, In this week in the news, there's been the ambulance strikes that have been going on. And this segues a bit into our episode that we want to talk about today, but uh, it's the it's t- currently the 12th of January and the ambulance strikes happened yesterday and we were just kind of having a bit of a think about this earlier, weren't we? Yes,
0: yeah, so, I mean, I guess, first of all, it's, it's probably different to what most people have been expecting. Like we sort of jump into the topic we we talk about that week, but I think it, we've thought, had to think, and I think it's best if we like cover some news that's been going on in the medical world and I think quite important news has been the strikes Um, the ambulance strikes, um, there's nursing strikes, um, and also, like, the junior doctor uh, ballot, which has opened, um, and I think it closes on the 20th of February. Um, So, strikes all round, and... um I mean, things are not looking good at the moment, are they?
1: No, they're not looking great. But I mean, what I'm quite hopeful for is the the opportunity to change for um, both for the paramedics and for nurses and for junior doctors. And I think it's really giving uh, these professions the, their opportunity to make a voice. What I am quite worried about is this new bill that's going to be hitting Parliament about limiting the amount that... Um, that uh, different individuals can strike. I I haven't read into it a great deal, but from what I've heard, it's about providing kind of a a minimum level of cover Mm. and whether they set that minimum level of cover is higher than is actually minimum. could be quite worrying and could mean that people can't strike in the way that they want to. Um, which is slightly concerning, but I need to read more into that. But yeah, like we said, I mean, it was the uh, it was the ambulance strike yesterday. Did you did you notice anything at placement
0: that was different? I mean, not really. No, I didn't notice it. I I, I remember reading I read something uh, yeah. online, a, a tweet or something, where it said uh, someone was having a heart attack and it took them way long, for the, yeah. like, it took the ambulance way longer for them to come, which mm-hmm. is understandable with all the strikes going on. Yeah, um, I know a lot of information has been provided to the public saying that. Um, don't call 999 or 111 unless you have these types of symptoms, yeah, uh, because that just puts unnecessary strain and takes away from the people who need it more.
1: Yeah, I, I've I mean, I've read the same kind of thing, I think we've probably both read the same article, and it, it's, it's deeply concerning the kind of the, the amount of time that people are having to wait for an ambulance, is really upsetting. Um, but I, I but I think what the strikes are doing, um, uh, is is kind of is to support um, these people in providing um kind of an objective behind to kind of i guess i'm not phrasing it right but it's what it does is it allows uh these professions to have a bargaining position and show look we're, we're clearly important we, we need this and i don't think we're either of us are really professional enough to kind of cast a huge level of judgment on it and we don't we're not gonna cast kind of loads and loads of opinions on it because they should be through the media outlets but we wanted to just yeah. kind yeah. of yeah i mean i guess you it.
0: take an objective view over it right yeah. like we don't come into medicine five years ago thinking, oh, the pay is this, the pay is this, right? Mm. Like, we obviously know that at that point, I, I knew that I wasn't gonna be the richest in the world, but yeah. it, it would be a steady source of income. Yeah. Um, but I think it's only when you're like five years in, like we are, um, that you see how much pay is eroded in line with inflation. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it's not just us, it's it's the nurses, it's the ambulance workers. Um, like the nurses are striking on, on I think on the 18th or 19th of January. Yeah. Um, I read that they turn on a 7.5% increase um they wanted something like a 17 percent increase or something
1: yeah and i mean i think it's the same junior doctors are arguing on a kind of a pay erosion type picture yeah. in that saying since i believe it's 2008 or 2009 that pay has been eroded by about 26 percent um and so
0: but they don't phrase it like that do they like the government will be like you've had a pay rise of this amount since then yeah but they don't account for inflation but it's
1: not a real terms pay rise no, is it no. it's a uh, it's in in terms of actual value, in terms of the raw value, it's a rise, yes. But value, money decreases in value year on year. That's what inflation is. And so, if you're getting more money, but it's not keeping up with the decrease in the the amount that the money's worth, mm. then it's it's not it's not worth. Yeah, they're no, they're not equivalent. And um, I think a really good source for anyone that's looking at. Um, wanting to become involved in the strikes or wanting to learn more about them is looking on either the BMA websites, that's the British Medical Association, or looking at uh, Doctor's Vote, which are quite vocal on social media in support of strike action and trying to, currently with the balloting going on and kind of finishing around February the 20th, we should know within the next month or so whether strike action will be occurring or not.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and and I a lot of people have been reposting even on our Instagram accounts, we can yeah. see a lot of people reposting the Doctor's Vote, so yeah. I guess... Like, like if you've got an opinion on it we can you can get in touch and then just get in touch with us and see and see what you think about it. Yeah, um, please
1: please do. We're interested not only I mean I think I mean I'm I'm in support of the strikes and what they're trying to try yeah, to trying yeah. to achieve um, but we're really interested to hear both sides of the story if there are any of you out there that are kind of opposed to the strikes we're really interested to hearing kind of why you're opposed to the strikes and any reasons that you might have behind that so please feel free to get in touch with us either on our instagram or on our gmail which are in the links on uh all our spot uh, all our podcast platforms
0: yeah so so that was just like the news roughly anything else in the yeah. news you've seen or you want to talk about or um I mean,
1: we've kind of... We we haven't spoken about it, but it's kind of... This stuff around um, strep A seems to have died now, mm, doesn't it? Which mm. is hopefully promising. Yeah. I know that a number of children have sadly passed away, but we spoke about it before, you being quite concerned when you were at GP, and there were patients that were kind of coming in with their children pretty concerned about what's happening, and it did reach the point where there was a shortage of uh, antibiotics, didn't
0: it? Yeah, yeah, well I mean the, gu- the guidance changed from uh, the government I think it was, um, I think the NICE guidelines was literally like, have a very low threshold for um, mm. for prescribing antibiotics, which of course means that like the majority of these, these people come in with viral infections and you're giving antibiotics, but then of course you don't want to miss someone with strep a. so yeah. like, where do you draw the line? And so I think my GP was saying that just you need to, um sort of prescribe antibiotics even if they very well be a viral
1: yeah yeah and then the the last point i wanted to mention i actually heard on the radio Mm. this morning when i was on my way to placement was about um black patients having to wait longer for organ transplants and so really yeah yeah so the way it works is that um obviously From what you understand, you need to kind of you need a match, so you need to match your kind of your HLA's and all of that. um But you are more likely to match. What does HLA mean? I can't remember. (laughs) Human leukocyte (laughs) antigen, or something like like that. It's simplifying it down. Yeah. So essentially, the the kind of different molecules that you have in your cell are like a bit like a lock and a key, and so the. um everyone's got kind of different molecules on um on their cells and the more kind of similar you are often the better match you are and the lower you'd need to be immunosuppressed yeah i mean i'm not an expert in (laughs) kind of transplant medicine but the if you if you're the same ethnicity you often share more of those kind of key molecules you're more likely to anyway and yeah, I heard on um, on the news this morning, on BBC News, that black people are waiting up to six months longer, on average, for mm. donation. And I, I heard a story about this man who had Allport syndrome waiting, and he's had two kidney transplants, and God. it made him feel so much better. But yeah, it's um, apparently average time uh, for kind of the general population to wait. Is five hundred and fifty days for white people. It's four hundred eighty-eight, and for black people, it's seven hundred thirty-five days. So there's a, big, a difference. big difference. This is this is stats from BBC News, by the way. Um, so, what but, reason do they give? So, uh, they they just they essentially say that often there's there's lower uptake in these communities, and I think there's there's potentially it's it's a matter of reaching out and poorer potential awareness of the impacts that mm. um, transplantation kind of can have so i think that it's it's not just in 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 black people it's it's in uh, a number of other Mm. ethnic minorities and i think it's really crucial that these groups are kind of their concerns over transplantation are really addressed Mm -hmm -hmm. so the concerns over that it doesn't mean you're donating your whole body and the body will be returned and if you want to bury it that's fine and if you want to have a cremation that's also fine i think that it's often not as well explained as it can be and i think that the kind of the voluntary opt-out has hopefully done something to increase organ donation. Yeah. The kind of the soft, the soft opt-out has kind of changed that rather than a kind of a,
0: a soft opt-in. Um, I mean, organ donation has always been a hot topic, hasn't it? I, I remember heard. even when we were uh, interviewing for medical, it was a common interview question yeah. Yeah, um, in yeah. terms of organ donation, opt-out, opt-in and ethics. Yeah. And if, if you, there is an organ, who should you give it to? That kind of thing um so i mean it's interesting it's it's an important issue that's i think uh, spain
1: is one of the only countries which is like a hard opt-out which means that if you you have to actively make a choice to opt out and only you can make that choice whereas a soft opt-out from my understanding is that you can opt out but also your family could opt out on your behalf after Mm. you've passed away but yeah. you're automatically enrolled, whereas it used to be the other way around, whereas your families, it was soft opt-in, whereas both you could kind of opt yourself in and your families could yeah. could also opt you in for organ donation after you died, kind of with a conversation with a kind of a nurse specialist and a doctor yeah. about whether they think it's appropriate for you. Um, but yeah, that, that's something that really interested me in the, in the news. I mean, particularly... Uh, having seen some kind of liver transplants and being interested in that field of work, I just thought it was quite striking to see that difference. Mm. And it kind of, it it leads in talking about kind of this acute medicine, particularly with the strikes into what we wanted to talk about today. I'll let you carry on with that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, (laughs) so I, I guess, um, Today we 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 spoke about my a few of my placements, um, previously and and what I thought of them. So um, I mean, I guess this is the first episode we've had after after the New Year. So Happy New Year, everyone! Um, so I mean, first of all, can you give like a quick mini update about what It's been two weeks since we started uni. Like, how has it been? Um, what have you been up to? Anything exciting in the New Year? It's
1: been it's been full on. I mean, I've started the rotations that Usher was on. So I've been on my Obs and gyne rotation, and I'm just nearing the second week of my Obs and gyne rotation. It's been really interesting, and we'll probably take some time uh, a bit later on to talk about that. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's it's been it's been good to be back. It's been quite full on. I, I definitely enjoyed the break and kind of having a proper break to sit and chill with my family and kind of collect my thoughts. It's mm. really nice. Mm. What so, about you?
0: Yeah, you no, know, it was good. It was good. Um, it, was, it was nice because I um, went away for, to the New Forest, like we said before. Yeah. that was a nice little break. Yeah. Um, do you know it was, it was two weeks so i felt like i needed another week um when i came back um, oh yeah definitely i think it was like the th- 3rd of january or something we we started i was like oh, 3rd of january to the new year it was just 2 days ago but it was nice to spend time at home and just spend time with the family like uh, don't get much time to do that now and so definitely um, yeah
1: it was really nice and i think without having that pressure of exams in the new mm, year yeah, it was true, really true, really nice true, yeah
0: true um but no no so so i guess today like you you were on your acute medicine rotation in birmingham it's called the acute yeah. ill patient um a 15 week rotation so I guess what we could do is, is just I'm going to ask you some questions uh, and hopefully like um, I can get some tips because I'm on that rotation right now. And, and the listeners I'm listening can also pick up. Some yeah, I, I
1: think what we want to do is try and give as many tips as we can about kind of making the most of your acute medicine rotation, whether you're on emergency medicine, whether you're on uh, AMU whether you're on kind of a TNO or gen surge ward, where there's acutely ill patients I coming think, I think
0: general hospital, like, ward yeah. tips as well, I think this applies because you're there for 15 weeks, you know? Yeah, definitely, definitely. <sighs> okay, so so first one, your, your rotation was 15 weeks. Yeah. Um, how, how did you find it overall? I really enjoyed it. It's, it's probably my
1: favourite rotation so far. I think particularly the hospital that I was at, I, I really, really enjoyed. Um, I had a great team there. I think the way the learning worked was that you were clinical a lot of the time and I I think what I really enjoyed was being final year you get to you get to do quite a lot more you're trusted to do quite a lot more but you're also you've got the experience to do quite a lot more so uh, undertaking kind of abgs and working with the doctors almost as if you're an f1 obviously under close supervision but I was working with um the med reg on call to help assess acutely Ill, Ill patient and it felt really like i was doing something it was quite rewarding mm-hmm. to kind of put all the skills that i'd learned particularly from third year onwards interaction to kind of help help assess a patient and kind of work out what's going wrong with them and i think as well it was um it was really good to have that supported then by uh, simulation teaching so i had a lot of uh, simulation once a week or so mm and we got a simulation scenario that we each did in pairs guaranteed for every every one of those simulations so we'd always be doing something every week um and that was really nice to kind of consolidate your knowledge in a a safe environment and what they do is really try and push you with quite difficult scenarios often to try and make sure that you were kind of comfortable with doing them or at least if you weren't comfortable where you weren't comfortable and then building on that and not just building your kind of clinical knowledge but building your kind of interpersonal skills and things like mm-hmm. that which was
0: really useful for f1 so so you mentioned a few <clears> things that you mentioned that you were uh, with a reg on core you mentioned that you furthered your clinical skills you talked about abg so arterial blood gas um so we have to do a simulation on that mm. um so i had mine today yeah um so you mentioned a few things so, so if you take me through i, I appreciate no no uh, week is the same as another but what would a general week look like for you so
1: normally we'd be you'd be on a specialty for a week or two so if i take my tno week for example mm. um what i did was on the monday i went to handover at eight in the morning there's a handover meeting wow. and what they do is they'd have the x-rays all up of the patients that are coming overnight and they'd be talking through and it's quite a good teaching opportunity there so often the consultants or the senior regs would be going right juniors what do you notice about this And occasionally, where I thought I knew something, I'd kind of pipe up up and go, "I think it's this." And sometimes they go, "Yeah," and sometimes they go, "No." No, no, But but
0: also, also before you carry on, like um, you had to get there for eight, Mm. and yours was quite a drive away as well, wasn't it?
1: Yeah. So normally leaving the house kind of around seven-ish, getting up around half six. Yeah, yeah. I remember because
0: you make your coffee in a cafeteria, um, and uh, so so the coffee like you make for for both of us, don't you? (laughs) I remember used to come down. Sometimes I wouldn't even hear you leave, but like I know you've left because Mm. (laughs) the
1: cafeteria is half full. so well that's the sign that i've been there yeah yeah i i think definitely uh, a big tip is uh, if you're not a caffeine drinker uh, get into drinking get caffeine because you'll uh, you'll probably need it but uh, i think also showing uh, a, a big tip is showing that you're you're keen on each specialty and giving every specialty a chance mm. because what i looked at it like was imagine i was an fy1 on this specialty kind of would i enjoy it mm. would i not enjoy it and things like that and um what I did is um, I went to handover at 8 in the morning kind of sat by the F1s to get an idea of kind of what they were talking about beforehand yep. and then went into the handover it's really really interesting looking through all these x-rays and understanding the cases and what bits were kind of crucial and what bits weren't and then I, I kind of went on part of the part of the ward round with the um, with the on-call team and so kind of uh, attached myself to a bit of the, um, to the on-call SHO so that would be F2 to kind of core trainee level and uh, also to the reg, and then uh, finished the round. And the reg went, "Do you want to go to theatres And so, I'm quite surgically inclined, as we've said before. And so, went to theatres and got some suturing experience with the consultant and the registrar. Um, and then on the Tuesday, I kind of followed a similar tactic, but. Um, I recognised the consultant. It's a consultant that actually both of us know beforehand. And we've worked with on kind of extracurricular topics. And so I was like, introduced myself and went, can I go to theatres? And I was really fortunate actually, because I was in theatres with a very senior registrar who was basically approaching being a consultant. He was months away from being a consultant. And so the consultant trusted him to be in theatres. So it was just me assisting him. So I got a lot of kind of hands-on teaching there and the registrar was very happy for me to kind of close and suture close and he was kind of teaching me about different methods of closure and it's really good i got really good hands on teaching there
0: so so you had uh had, so you go mm-hmm. um to the ward round and you go to theater yeah um would that sort of be the whole day or what, how your afternoons look
1: so what i'd normally do in the afternoon is I, i'd go away and either do some practice questions or consolidate my knowledge kind of going over notes that i'd written um, and then, like I said, normally on the Friday, we'd have simulation teaching mm. and they'd normally try and cover all of the kind of key outcomes that we need to cover for final year. So I'd recommend that with simulation teaching, go to all the sessions that you have. That would be a key point because simulation is one of the most valuable experiences.
0: So, so what, what actually happens in a simulation?
1: So we'll get given a clinical scenario. And yeah. We act as if it's real. Often there's a, a nurse who's there. who's You teaching. get mic'd up. You get mic'd up and everyone else can watch you. And in, we normally went in in pairs because I think it's a bit more comfortable rather than going in on your own. And what they do is they give us a clinical scenario, and we kind of have to work our way through. Almost, I, I guess, to a kind of non-medics, it's a bit like an escape room. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. always kind of have to work, well, work out what's going on. Everyone's watching you in a separate room on a TV, mm-hmm. aren't they? And yeah. you're just
0: mic'd up trying to. Um, and this, this exactly sim this sim situation that you're in. Um, the the dummy that you're sort of assessing the the patient yeah they they can do quite a lot can't they
1: they can yeah so they can kind of blink their their eyes respond to light so they've got a pupillary right. reaction so you you can listen to their heart and their breath sounds and you can you can do lots of things you, you can't kind of give them iv medications and stuff but you can pretend to kind of put a cannula in mm. and so it was it was really really useful actually that experience and i got the opportunity to work with quite a number of my colleagues Where you weren't paired up with the same person each time Good, yeah. Which meant that you you got to build those Interpersonal skills, not just between you and one other Person, but between a number of people
0: And, and did you, like honestly, did you find those Simulation <coughs> sessions, uh, did you find those Simulation sessions um, useful? Do you feel like they I added think to your they, learning? I think
1: they were the most useful thing That I did there. Really? Yeah um, Because what they did Is they structured it very clearly to achieve Our kind of, uh, to kind of Reach towards our foundation competencies And kind of reach towards what we need to achieve by the end of medical school. And it was really clear about specific kind of emergencies that we needed to know. But often the presentations would be quite vague. Mm. So you'd really have to apply yourself and think, what's going on here? What's in my list of differentials? Why am I doing this investigation to kind of rule in or rule out a number of conditions? And then kind of work forward with a management plan. Yeah, yeah. And often it's kind of the case where I mean I'd often try and manage the, the thing on my own and what it taught me was that kind of it's okay to reach out for help when mm. you need it which I think mm. was a really crucial thing and I'd rather learn in simulation because it allows you to make those mistakes in a safe environment
0: and I guess there's 15 16 scenarios like you said and um as an as a foundation year one mm. doctor you're probably going to be the first person to assess a patient exactly and then you need to know when it's appropriate to escalate
1: and I think particularly this experience really plays into your hands when you're working overnight and you think kind of when i I was in simulation I remember doing that or stuff or or not even so kind of uh, directly as that but you just the skills that you apply and Mm. pick up during simulation uh, make you more prepared for working as an F1 and working either on your own or in a team of just the two of you yeah. as yeah. F1s yeah. I, yeah
0: I I think um, simulation is something which they're trying to incorporate more into the, the curriculum I think I was reading and the, the fact that um, some some are more realistic than the other I think they call yeah. them um, high fidelity ones. yeah so
1: ours is pretty high fidelity and what they did is you could you could refer over the phone yeah and they'd have someone in the next room yeah and they'd they removed all the twos though so you couldn't
0: accidentally go <laughs> double two double no, two people have done that yeah. before <laughs> call yeah. the actual emergency team to, to come and... I
1: think it happens more regularly than people care to admit yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so big tip is attend your simulations mm. and reflect not only just on your simulations, but on other people's simulations. Where did they do stuff that you didn't consider, or where did they maybe go wrong, and how could you build on that? Is it nerve wracking at all? I didn't find it nerve wracking. I really enjoyed going and doing sim scenarios. And actually, I was kind of on the end of if everyone had done a scenario in a day and they still had more remaining, I'd often kind of volunteer to do more scenarios because I quite enjoyed doing them. Um, but yeah, I can understand why you why people would be nervous because it kind of you feel like you're being judged, but they, they always kind of preface when you go in with this is a safe space, what happens in sim stays in sim. Mm-hmm. Um
0: we don't want you guys to talk about scenarios after you've left. Yeah. Which I think is really useful. Yeah. Um and so I mean from the way you're saying in like general generic uh, mm-hmm. in um medical rotations and hospital yeah. rotations, um, I've found it difficult sometimes to balance the uh clinical work with book work. How did you find that? Especially like I know because we're in fifty and finally we had to study for SJT. We had um, SFP applications. Like, so how did you manage to balance, strike that balance? Yeah,
1: I, I think it, I think it's very difficult, um, and I don't think I did it well towards the end of term. I think I was quite preoccupied with uh, SJT, and I spent probably about the last week of term not reading any clinical work because I was just kind of I couldn't really focus at all, and it wasn't really great. Um, but what I, what I did really try and do was kind of go to the wards or clinics or anything like that in the morning and would always say, that unless I had kind of a particular teaching that I had to attend instead, I'd normally, every single morning without fail, I'd be out going and doing clinical stuff. And often into the afternoons on wards if I'm kind of really getting a lot out of a ward and kind of building up my learning. But I think a, I think a, a key point is understand your own learning opportunities and what works for you because it's not necessarily about being on the ward for kind of 10 hours if you're just sitting there and nothing's happening it's about building those learning opportunities for yourself which i think i often found difficult earlier on in med school and it's okay to to this is what a consultant said, is it's okay to, to understand that if the ward isn't working for you, to go away and learn about maybe what you've seen already on the ward. See, if you've seen someone with a PE on the ward already, or a patient with tuberculosis, you actually don't understand that that well. Is it that useful to go around and see 10 more patients with tuberculosis that you don't understand, or is it more useful to probably go away to the library, read up on tuberculosis?
0: so I mean you talked about building opportunities and, yeah and people not knowing what to do on wards sometimes so uh, how would you say what would you say is the best way you learn on wards so what times to go because there are times where people can go on the wards and nothing's going on there's no doctors there yeah um maybe the ward round's finished or people maybe um I don't know I th- They take part in the ward round I
1: think it really depends I think always go into ward round or go to the ward with an open mind um is really really crucial and go in feeling positive. So think that you will get something out of the ward round because there's no point going along. If you're not kind of, you're putting your weight behind it. So go along kind of with an open mind to learn. And I think the best thing to do is to, to try and approach the junior doctors. Normally what I do is kind of go up to someone who I thought could be an F1 and go, hi, you one of the regs on the ward and they go, oh no, I'm the junior. So I think always be, always be, always be nice to, to the junior doctors and kind of, and, and kind of, Give them, give them help where they need it and they'll repay you with learning opportunities. And that's not to say that you're there working, because you're not, you're there to learn. But if it's the case that um, one of the junior doctors will um have time to show you how to do an abg or to supervise you to do an abg if you can take some routine bloods for them then that seems like a fair compromise because yeah. if you can speed them up in taking some routine bloods and then they get to supervise you doing an abg which is a more difficult procedure to get then it's kind of worth it and it's, it's worth having a conversation and being up front with those junior doctors about what you'd like to get out of being on the ward that day not walking in and going hi i need this or hi i need that but going hi i'm tom i'm one of the final year students i i'm on say tno um this week um i i'd like to would i be all right to shadow you on some of the jobs that you're doing this afternoon are there any jobs that i'd be able to help you with um so so i'm also and then be like i'm also really looking to get an abg done do you know where i'd be able to do that do you have any that you need doing
0: right okay so i mean at, at birmingham we have to we've got a, a clinical skills passport and i know i know other universities do as well so for example i know um barts they have a, a sign-offs that they need but it's, it differs like they need to do uh, get some case-based discussions and some cases and sign-off drug charts whereas for us it's skills wise and you usually have to perform three times of that skill and you also have to do examinations under supervision of at least a registrar. Um, so bearing that in mind you have quite a lot to do so do you go into each rotation like for example TNO um, or wherever you are with goals for that week
1: yeah definitely so I think that's a really I think it's a really good point it's kind of plan your week so um, particularly when I was trying to achieve those difficult skills like doing an ABG what I do is when I was on my A&E week because you're kind of you're there spread around and there might be a few of you on A&E but kind of thinking right well where's the best place in A&E to get an ABG done probably in resus or if not in majors so what I'll do is I'll try and spend one morning looking for ABGs while I'm it's not to say that's all you'll look for but try and really focus that one morning going ah oh, there's a patient coming in they're quite acutely unwell uh what I'll do is I'll go and help the doctor go and assess them and see if it's possible, if the patient needs an ABG, that's something I'm able to do. And then what I might do is go, actually, what I really want to do on one day is build up my history taking and examination skills so one of the days when I was on my a e rotation I spent the day acting as if I was kind of an F1 like a very junior doctor yeah. and I would take histories from patients and examine them and feed that all back to senior doctors and I really really enjoyed that yeah. cause it gave me that kind of sense of purpose and I think I planned that out where I wanted to do that for a couple of days mm. a week when I was on my A&E blog I wanted to have some more kind of free floating days where i was almost shadowing kind of senior doctors managing really acutely ill patients and seeing how they followed that a to e approach and then also maybe a day where i was trying to get these skills signed off like my abgs my nebulizers my injections and all of those things
0: yeah no it sounds, sounds good sounds mm. good and and i guess one thing for me was that when i was on the other half on like paediatrics obviously yeah. going in gp is that um nothing ever got stale for me because every five weeks i'd go onto another rotation yeah yeah 15 weeks is a long time did you ever felt feel like at times that it was not not that it was dragging but at times where you were doing something similar day after day and and maybe you want to change or something no not at
1: all i think that my my placement was really good because they they changed it up in that you'd have two weeks on each specialty and then even you had five weeks at the end, which was like an assistantship block. So almost kind of acting as if you're an F1 um, or, or working very closely with the F1s on that ward. And even in that five weeks, they gave you kind of three rotations. So a couple of two week ones and mm-hmm. then one week on something else. And that was really useful. Um, but I definitely say is if you're on a kind of a long placement, say, Uh, like that like 15 weeks like a whole term so mine was uh, end of august all the way through to kind of middle of december is plan your time so maybe not kind of 15 weeks in advance but definitely maybe for a month think actually this week or or this month i want to focus on surgery so i might if you're given that kind of free roam that i know at some med schools and at some placements people are maybe spend a week on general surgery a week on tno a week on vascular and then a week on kind of ENT, plastics and whatever other surgical specialties are there like urology and yeah, things yeah, yeah. to give yourself that exposure because then you're kind of covering your bases. And I think it's really crucial to plan your time. People always say work smart, not hard. And there's no point spending 15 weeks plugging away really hard, being there kind of eight till eight, but only learning about cholecyst- kind of cholecystitis. Uh, on a general surgery kind of ward or only learning about pancreatitis. It's about thinking about where you're lacking in your knowledge. So applying um, a a kind of applying your understanding of those gaps to actual clinical medicine is the hardest point being like, right, I really don't know enough about acute limb ischemia. So what I'm going to do is go down to the vascular ward round, try and go to the vascular ward round, see some patients with acute limb ischemia, see how they present, with the ward round, and then potentially ask after the ward round because you've shown your face there, you've shown an interest. Maybe ask the registrar if they're free for half an hour at a time uh, at some point to ask if you can then go and examine a patient under their supervision but but it's rude to just turn up to the ward round to the ward after the round and go do you mind watching me because you're not you're not giving them something back do you know what I mean mm. it, it's common courtesy to show that you're interested in their specialty and then you're more likely to get that back and also there's learning opportunities on ward rounds yeah. I'm not saying go to to every single ward round every single day unless that's what you've been told to do because I don't for me I don't find that useful yeah, yeah, yeah. so sometimes I'd rather go to a ward round or a clinic a ward round a clinic and mix it up like that um But I think it's definitely useful on at least one uh, day of every specialty that you're in to go to the ward round because it allows you to meet the patient, see the variety of patients. And then it means if you see a particular interesting patient, you can follow them up
0: well meet the patient and meet the team as well i guess exactly
1: yeah, yeah. it allows you to kind of do both things yeah,
0: yeah. i mean it's just funny i was laughing because um, you mentioned acute limb ischemia and i've only been on this this block for two weeks but um i was i meant to have teaching with um, a vascular consultant surgeon yeah uh, who would teach us acute limb ischemia in a lecture um but it turns out he was in surgery so he sent his reg to come and teach us um <laughs> and this reg came and was like um okay guys like i'm not going to give you a lecture because you can just read that in a book so uh, we're going to make this like interactive and usually when people say that they're gonna like pick on you questions but i don't mind too much right um so then like first of all she was like what is acute limb ischemia picked on me and i was just like okay fine i don't really care i'll just i'll say the answer um and then uh, she kept picking on people and then she'd explain things and then you know when (laughs) someone goes oh okay does everyone understand that and people were like yeah so people were like yeah and then she'd pick someone else be like okay what did i just say so, so then, so obviously some people zoned out at that time and then um, yeah. so they then get the answer wrong and then um it's meant to be an hour lecture right and so yeah. half an hour in I, I thought we were done and she was like okay guys we're just gonna like simulate real like patient scenarios and then she was like um okay uh, you and um, i was just writing something down and, and <laughs> I, I like the class has gone quiet and i look up and she's pointing at me And I was just like, is she actually pointing at me? So I was like, me. And she was like, yeah, who else am I pointing at? She was like, like, stand up. And I was like, oh my God, why did she want me to stand up? She was like, come to the front. I was like, oh my God, what do you want me to do now? And so I came to the front and she was like, sit down. So she made me sit on like a patient bed. And she was like, imagine I'm the patient take a history from me as, as if I've, I've come in with acute limb ischemia um, and she made me, come, made me take a history in front of like 20-25 people um, like, just off the cuff just off the cuff when I'm learning about acute limb ischemia well it's um, a bit of a baptism it of fire honestly like, the I, I don't think I'll forget it mm. um, but like uh, more than anything I was I just found it so odd like the way she was just kind of grilling me and then I remember this this time where she was like okay what uh, got to the examination part and she was like okay what pulses did you feel and I was like um, um I said well, I'd feel the pulses And she said what pulses I said oh femoral Popliteal um, Dorsalis pedis yeah. um, And then posterior tibial And then she goes What about the anterior tibial And I was like Oh yeah that's a good point <laughs> That's a good point actually <sighs>
1: um, But I, I mean I quite I know we both quite enjoy that I mean kind of get, Getting grilled And it teaches you Kind of what you uh what you know and what you don't know but i think that's that's a really good thing about a big 15 week rotation at least if you know what you need to know is it allows you to kind of tailor your own learning Mm. whereas in a smaller five week block you may not kind of begin to understand what you don't know and Mm -hmm. where you need to tailor your knowledge yeah um but i really enjoyed the placement so i'd normally go and do clinical things where i was trying to achieve something in the morning. Um, and then what I do is either, particularly when I was on A&E, I'd often say that the whole day and just kind of clock patients for a day. Or when I was at an AMU, I'd do that quite a lot. But then on some other rotations, what I do is in the afternoon I go to the library to kind of revise either the pharmacology of that kind of specialty or to think over the notes or maybe a, a patient that I didn't understand and to research about, uh, let's say. Um, hip fractures and go yeah, actually yeah. I don't understand why that hip fracture has been managed differently to that one and then you go away and you think ah, oh, well the patient one patient was kind of relatively immobile one patient had um, a dementia and then you kind of begin to build up a picture of why the management was different based on kind of looking through your notes and answering questions
0: yeah, I mean I guess there is a flip side to that, isn't it? That when yeah. I talk about five weeks on pediatric stops in Garney, five weeks is nowhere near enough mm. to explore those specialties or as yeah. you have that time over here. Um you talked about like multiple conditions that you might have seen or read yeah. about. Um any cases in particular that that stick out to you over the fifteen weeks that you saw?
1: So I think that this rotation was 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 quite important for me and it was the first time that I saw a patient die. Oh wow. So Uh, and I think that a lot of people in terms of go through this at medical school, and so so it's something I really wanted to talk about, and it's a tip for these big blocks is to kind of reach out for support from your friends and family if you you need it, whenever you need it, and if you feel that you need help, I'm sure there are other people in the same position. So, um, yeah, when I was was on this rotation, I I saw someone pass away in front of my eyes when I was... um, when I was assessing someone with the uh, med reg on call and so I'd gone through the whole process of helping with the A2E a assessment and um, so I'd gone through the whole process of uh, doing the a to e assessment with the med reg and uh, we were trying to kind of help Im- improve their condition and actually we went away to, to talk to a family member and explain what was going on and and I and the the nurse came back in and went sadly I th- I think they're passing away right now you need you need to come back and then the relative came back in and the patient passed away kind of in front of our eyes and oh it's something I've never seen before and actually I hadn't seen on that occasion and a number of other occasions hadn't seen death being confirmed before uh, because it's something you don't really have that much exposure to unless you're doing kind of big acute medicine blocks. If you're just in an outpatient clinic, people are not routinely going to come in and kind of pass away then and there in clinic. Mm. Um, so that, w- that was quite changing t- for me. And kind of it's it's really it's really reassuring, though, the way in which patients are still treated as kind of as if they're kind of alive or they're still spoken to. So kind of so-and-so, I'm just going to do this, I'm just going to do this, because you're confirming death. yeah Yeah? and if you've got relatives in the room it shows a a real amount of kind of respect and dignity if you if you talk to the patient as if they're still as if they're still there um so i think a big thing yeah is checking checking your own mental health is okay when you're seeing those quite harrowing experiences like that and did you find it easy to reach out or
0: or speak to people yeah
1: so i mean i know i spoke to you about it and i spoke to my girlfriend about it because I, i didn't reach out i didn't feel as though i kind of needed um uh, kind like of any, any, yeah any support. external support i mean but I, I just wanted to talk it through with someone mm, i wasn't mm. kind of i wasn't really really personally affected but yeah. it kind of did make me think quite a lot about a bit of life and death for about a week mm. and kind of just seeing someone kind of pass away in front of me it's mm. the first time i've ever seen it so i did actually i yeah i had a chat with a few people about it and how it made me feel no,
0: I mean it's interesting to highlight because you know it's something I've never experienced before, and, yeah. I, and I guess like the way you talk through it. with me, I remember you speaking it through with me, yeah. like, and I guess it's something we all have to go through as those doctors. Yeah, um, definitely. When we start like, practising next year, and
1: I I think maybe it's not oh, it's, it's not great to have that experience, but it's it's useful who have experienced that when you're still at medical school you're not the only person working on your ward and a patient who you've been caring for for months kind of away. you begin to build up that experience of understanding that medicine is not just about uh keeping people alive forever but actually people do pass away Mm. and so it builds up that kind of exposure to that and how you build your own coping mechanisms so i think Mm. a big tip is on these big long blocks is to understand your own mental health where it might be struggling and to kind of help to think of what helps you cope with, yeah. with these difficult, stressful situations. So I know for me, that's talking it through or going for a run, yep. whatever. And yeah, it's
0: yeah. No, that, that is useful. No, that is genuinely quite interesting. <clears throat> um, so I guess you, you've spoken quite glowingly about this place. Wasn't it? Yeah. A- anything that you didn't like or any any drawbacks at all? Uh,
1: I mean, uh, the commute, like you said, and we said earlier was a bit long, but I actually quite enjoyed the drive yeah. often it was it was the kind of uh sticker podcast yeah sticker podcast <laughs> on it was fast roads so i could normally whack the radio on or something like that it's normally quite early in the morning i'm, I'm quite a morning person so i thought it's quite nice to drive along and see the sunrise in the morning Wow, well, yeah, uh, it's quite a nice route as well um so yeah no i was i was quite happy with with, with doing that yeah um
0: i didn't really mind Fine. And and I mean, I think you've answered most of my questions anyway. I I guess the final question I have is if you compare yourself um, in week one to to week 15, um, how do you feel you're different?
1: I think I feel a lot more confident in managing someone who's acutely unwell, at least to the point where I need to reach out for help. So doing that, it's not even just understanding or A to E, A, you check the airway, B, you check the breathing, but understanding what you're looking for what kind of short-term issues you can correct yourself and having that confidence in yourself but also being able to reach out and that's those are two big points that I'd like to really reiterate is that in simulation it's definitely important to understand where you're reaching your own limit of competency and that's one of the big things about sim is not teaching you oh in kind of ACS you give M-O-N-A, morphine, oxygen, nitrates, aspirin, it's not correct all of the time anyway to do that to do those four things but um it's more about understanding where you're reaching that limit of your kind of competency and you need to reach out and that's a big thing that simulation teaches you and I definitely think it's worth taking the time to go away and think about when you think you're reaching your limit of competency because it will help you become a better doctor in the future and I think also what the big block did was teach me confidence in myself and my own abilities and to order investigations and tests for things that i was trying to rule in or rule out because simulation would then provide the reassurance and they'll be like dcg is normal but on the checks chest x-ray there is this yeah. or kind of or if it was like a pe the ecg shows sinus tachycardia there is nothing abnormal on the chest x-ray right what do i think is going on here i think it's a pe What I'll do is I'll call my senior to say what I think I've got on my hands, what I would like to do in my next steps. So kind of therapeutic uh, anticoagulation, referring for a CTPA, check that over with my senior if they're happy and they don't think I've missed anything, then I'll carry on with that plan. And it gives you that reassurance
0: that you're actually you're understanding how to do the right thing yeah no yeah. what well, i mean thanks a lot i mean i'm on this rotation now i feel like i've gained quite a lot of uh yeah well, i feel quite motivated after all that yeah so
1: i, I think to kind of to, to summarize what i say is go to go to every every ward or every specialty with an open mind in that you could be doing it as an f1 and consider it as a kind of career option or at least working there as an f1 try and envisage yourself working there be polite to the junior doctors in order to help gain experiences try and have aims for each day or each week that you're on placement understand your own limits of your competency and have confidence where you do have kind of competency Um, and then finally uh, understand where your own mental health might be suffering particularly on these long blocks where you might be kind of going on wards on your own and understand both kind of informal so friends and family that you can reach out to and formal sources of help if you really feel that that is something that you want to reach out to both through your university and through other charities that might exist So I I realise it's a bit of a a dark end but those are my main tips and I realise we've done it more like an interview as compared to the previous ones, it's quite similar but what I've tried to do in this is we've tried to offer a few more tips rather than just reflecting on our experiences.
0: No, I, th- I think it's been good and uh, I guess it, although we're in final year, I think these these tips and uh, on placement can be applied to whether you're third year, fourth Definitely. year or fifth year. Yeah. Um or so. even
1: or even at other medical schools where you have a hospital placement in first and second year where you have those hospital days, it's great to go in and be like actually I want to achieve this on hospital. I want to examine a patient for the first time. I want to take a history for the first time. So it's great to have these aims and like I said one of my points was plan your Plan your days and plan your weeks.
0: Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So um, I, I guess we're coming towards the end of it. Um, one thing to say is that we'd, we'd like to hear more from you guys as well. So if there's anything you want us to talk about or uh, any suggestions about um, any tips for place placement or anything else that we haven't covered, then please do get in touch and let us know because we'd like to have more, more interaction with you guys.
1: Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. And if, if while you're sending an email, you could give us a, a review or a rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen, we'd be really grateful for that. Thank you very much for listening. Please leave us a like, give us a rating and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use. We'll speak soon.